run from God. And we'll get into all that today. And in the end, guess what happens? The will of God happens. There's a lot of things you can outrun in life. You cannot run God. We're going to break this story down a little bit because if there was ever a person in the Bible to talk about when you're talking about the fact that there's nowhere to run, it's the story of Jonah, and it's a story that each and every one of us should be able to relate to because at one time in our life, every single one of us, preacher included, preacher probably leading the charge, we have run from the will of God. The will of God can be a scary thing. I think one of the biggest lies in the church is, as we tell people all the time, the, the best place you can be, the safest place you can be is in the will of God. No, the, no, 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 no. It's the best place you can be. But man, sometimes the will of God can be the most dangerous place to be. It, it was dangerous for Daniel when he ended up in the lion's den. It, it was dangerous for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they ended up in the furnace. It led to death for Jesus. The will of God, the center of God's will can be a dangerous place, but it's a great place. We're going to hang out at the beginning of the book of Jonah today. And the Bible says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And this is what God said. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is a prophet of God. God comes to Jonah and gives the type of command you would expect a prophet to be given. I want you to go to this town. I want you to preach against this town's wickedness. I want you to deliver the words that I'm going to say. Pretty much the job description of a prophet. But Jonah ran from the Lord. The man of God has been told what to do by God. And he runs from the calling of God. On one hand, I read that and think, how foolish. On the other hand, I read that and say, man, it makes me feel a little bit better. I'm in good company. But Jonah ran from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. (laughs) Sin will always take you down. where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the ferry, he went aboard himself for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Think about the stupidity of this verse. To flee from the Lord. The all-knowing, the all-seeing, omnipresent, omnipotent God who sees everything that we do no matter where we're at, who will never leave us or forsake us. And yet Jonah, the prophet of God, thought he could flee from the calling of God on his life. And as we look at the story, we find out very quickly, dare I say, Jonah had nowhere to run. Wherever you go, there you are. You can run from your friends. You can run from your circumstances. You can run from everything that is around you. But there's two things you can't run from. Yourself 
in God. Because wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, the Lord is. You can try to flee from the Lord, and it ends very poorly, as we'll see in this story. It's an interesting story, and there's actually some interesting verses there. I like verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to him. Clearly, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him, and the good news is, is you need to understand this today. There will come a time in your life where the word of the Lord will come to you. It might not be an audible voice as it was in the Old Testament, but make no mistake about it today, we serve a God who still speaks to his children. He uses the word of the Lord to speak to his children. I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God. The first question I always ask is, when's the last time you read your Bible? This book is alive. The Bible says it's sharper than two, any two-edged sword. Listen, the word's cut in here. It's amazing to me, as long as I've been reading this book, how this book always delivers the word I need right when I need it. We serve an on-time God. It's amazing to me. How I can read a verse I've read a thousand times in my life, and depending on the circumstances in my life, that same verse and those same 10 or 12 words will speak to me in an entirely different way. Because God is an on-time God. He's what we need when we need it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We serve a God who loves to speak. Whenever God created something in Genesis 1-1, the Bible says he spoke it into existence. He said, let it be, and it was. He created things with the spoken word, and he speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us through our circumstances. He speaks to us through godly counsel. He speaks to us by what's going on in our life. Have you ever had a situation where it seems like, man, everything I'm doing is just pointing in this direction? And we call it karma, or we call it fate. Or we say, man, it just seemed like it happened, and we miss out on the fact that the God of the universe is speaking to us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. Before there was anything, there was the word of God. And the word was with God. And the word was God. We serve a God who's a God of words, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He's a speaking God. You need to understand that principle today. People tell me all the time, I just don't understand what God's trying to tell me to do. The problem is is you won't shut up long enough to listen. The problem is, is you're trying to figure it out on your own. The problem is, is you're trying to navigate the path of your life and God is the greatest GPS system that ever lived. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Shut up. Listen. And it will become abundantly clear to you. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. 
And throughout history, God has spoken to people in many different ways. He has spoken through his prophets. He's spoken through circumstances. He's spoken through the spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if you listen today, the Bible says his word will not return void. God will speak to you today. The greatest thing some of you can realize today is it's time to stop running. Because you're running from the calling on your life. You're running from the purpose in your life. You're running. You know the answer. You just don't like the answer. And you have the arrogance to think you know better. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah didn't like the word of the Lord. And so he took off. And his life began to fall apart as an example of that. You can't outrun God. Again, I said it a minute ago, I, I think it's powerful that it says the Bible says he went down. You want to go down quickly in life? Get out of the will of God. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. You can get out of the will of God and you can have fun for a few minutes. But there will always come a day where there will be consequences for your actions. You can mask the pain sitting at the bar short time. But eventually you're going to deal with the consequences of your actions. You can get high and medicate yourself and try to cover up your actions. And for a while you can do that. I tell people this all the time. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. There's pleasure until the consequences come along. Jonah takes off and he runs from God. But make no mistake about it, the consequences are coming. I, I want to give you a couple of Things today to notice, if you will, that are found in this story. They're really not cute little points. They don't really flow necessarily well. They're just some highlights, if you will, of this story. And I want to talk to you about what happens when we run from God. The first thing I want you to notice is many times God will ask you to do something you don't want to do. Many times God will ask you to do something you don't want to do. And the reality is, the reason we don't want to do it is, is deep down inside, we're arrogant. And we think we know best. We like to try to convince ourselves that, that we know what's best for our lives. For example, which is better? I'm going to ask you to raise your hands here in a second. Vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream? Raise your hands if you think vanilla ice cream is the best. Leave them up, look around, look around. Thank you, you can put your hands down. How many of you would say, Gary, those people are wrong. Chocolate is the best ice cream. We all think we know what's best. All of you are wrong. Cookies and cream is the best. We think we know what's right. We think we know best. And God comes along and says, this is what I want to do. I noticed, by the way, some of you voted twice. Respect. Respect. We like to think we know what's best. 
Sometimes we need to accept that sometimes God puts people in authority in our life, in certain areas of our life, because they know what's best for our life. They have more knowledge of a situation. They've been there. They've done that. I remember a few years ago I went hiking. I think Christine must have been out of town. I went hiking, and I'm hiking over and bowling. And as I'm hiking, I see these people running the opposite direction. And they're like, you need to turn back around. You need to turn back around. I said, for what? I hike this trail all the time. There's a baby bear down there. You need to turn around. First thing that pops in my mind, that's cool. I want to see the baby bear. I want to take a picture of the baby bear. I want to send it to Christine and say, look what you missed out on. You're working. I'm out here checking out bears. And so I begin to take a couple more steps. And the lady turns. She said, sir, I'm telling you, you need to turn around. That don't go real well with me. I said, why? She said, wherever there's a baby bear, there's a mama bear. And instantly it clicked in my head. This lady knows more than I know. And she's right. I kid you not, I turned around and started walking back. I'd walked about 10 minutes, and I'm talking about these two people went flying by me. You need to pick up the pace. There's a baby bear and a mama bear coming this way. Sometimes we think we know best. I just wanted a cute little picture of the baby. I wasn't thinking about mama. I'm not the smartest man in the world. But I know that a mama bear is going to do whatever it takes to protect the baby bear. And I'm no match for the mama bear. I do not run. I do not jog. I do not walk swiftly. I ran that day. They say, yeah, the worst thing you do is run from a bear. I didn't see the bear, so I'm assuming the bear didn't see me running. I kid you not, I got to the car, and for 15 minutes I laid in the car breathing. I couldn't even crank the car. I was so out of shape. But guess what? I got away from that bear. <laughs> Many times God will ask you to do something you don't want to do. I didn't want to turn around. In my mind, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm going to roll up on a bear in Canton, GA, and I'm going to take a picture of it. And, man, it's going to, people are going to dig that. I, you know me, I'm shallow. I'm thinking about all the likes it's going to get. I ain't thinking about mama bear. That's what we do with God. So many times God says, I need you to do this. And we think we know what's best. We don't want to obey when the word of the Lord comes to us. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, verse 2, and says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because their wickedness has come up before me. This really on the surface level doesn't seem like a crazy command. God goes to the prophet of God in this day and time. God had prophets of God. He spoke through the prophets of God. He told the prophets to go to certain places and convey the message in which he was speaking. I want you to preach against their wickedness. It seems like a normal request, if you will, a simple assignment. But the problem is you didn't understand, you don't understand the history of Nineveh. 
or for that matter, Nineveh was the capital of the Syrian, the Syrian Empire. And you don't understand why they were so hated. <laughs> it, it was rumored that these people were so wicked when they would go into battle that many times cities would hear they were coming and these people were so vile and so wicked when they took over a city and defeated it that many times the entire city would commit suicide before they arrived. They'd rather go out on their own terms than deal with the pain and destruction of the Assyrian Empire. If you go out and you study history you'll find out how wicked these people were. They would go into a city. They would take over a city. They would kill all kinds of people in the city. They would rape all the surviving women in the city before they would kill them. They would rape the little girls. Then they would kill them. They would take the husbands, make them prisoners of war. They would take them outside the city gates and skin them alive. Hold on, it gets worse. After they skinned them alive, they would bury them down to their neck in the ground. They would pull out their tongues and run a stake through their tongue where they would go crazy literally as they died. As they're skinned alive, as they're buried in the ground, as their tongue has been driven into the sand, they would play Nickelback all night to dry. No, I'm just kidding about that part. Just kidding about that part. I'm just kidding about that part. After they would die, they would chop their heads off and they would mount all the skulls in a huge mountain outside the city gates and let the entire world know they had defeated this city. They were a wicked people. And God comes along and tells Jonah this is who he's to go preach to. And Jonah wants no part of it. Maybe Jonah was fearful for his own life. Maybe Jonah knew some people that they had taken over their cities. He could have had a relative or a friend who had actually experienced the wrath of the Assyrians. I don't know what it was, but he had legitimate reasons why he didn't want to go there and preach. Can I be honest with you? There's sometimes I've had legitimate reasons I didn't want to do what God told me to do. The word of the Lord comes to you. And you're specifically here from God. This is what you should do. God, I get it. I understand what you want me to do, but um, it's not what I want to do. God comes along and the word of the Lord makes it clear to you, hey, that person who hurt you, I want you to forgive them. You know it's clear as day, man. You're listening to music, and the music's about forgiveness. And everywhere you turn, you're seeing verses about forgiveness. And that person keeps coming to your mind. And that person and forgiveness keeps coming. And you want no part of it. You refuse to let them go. You, you refuse to do it. You know what God's telling you to do. But your flesh just doesn't want to. Many times, God will tell us to do things we don't want to do. Many times we will step out in the opposite direction of God because we think we know best. You know what in the church, and this is a topic I don't talk very much about, but I'm just going to be honest with you today. There's no topic like this in the church like the topic of tithing. We know God expects, I said expects, us to worship him by giving the first tenth of our earnings of our time, our talent, our treasure, all of it back to him. 
We just don't want to. We know best. I tell people this time, I've never, mowed a, I've never met a broke tither. God provides over and over and over. Well, I'm not going to do it. I don't care. I don't know who gives here and who doesn't give here. It's between you and God. Make no mistake about it. I could give two rips. God provides always around here. But you're running from God in that area. Oh, BTW, that might be the reason you have financial problems you have. Any time. You know what, I, what I've learned, too, is it really cuts down on it around here, too. Any time someone comes to me and asks for financial help from the church, first question I ask them, I say, do you tithe? You ask them that? Absolutely. Because I'm not just going to meet your need. I want to get to the root of the problem of your need. I've learned... That when I submit to God, I can get by a whole lot better on 90% of my income than I can running from God with 100% of my income. That's all I'm going to say about it. But that's the problem. You know what God tells you to do. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to accept that giving is an act of worship. Let's move on to something a little more pleasant. Some of you are that way in your dating life. You don't understand why every time relationship you jump into is worthless and sorry and falls apart. Because you think you know better than God. I, you, can, you can change him. You have something special that the other 30 people didn't have. Guys, you can make her less crazy. I told my wife the other day, I can't even remember who we were talking about. If I could remember, I wouldn't say it anyway. I said, so-and-so is the first woman I've ever seen to lose her crazy eyes. You know what I'm talking about, guys. Look, I know you can't laugh because you're next to the woman right now. But all guys know about the crazy eyes that a woman has. Like when you meet her and the eyes are just crazy. I don't know what it is. Guys don't have crazy eyes. My wife said guys have creepy eyes. But, but, but ladies, that's all right. You can amen to that, but we ain't talking about the guys right now. Sometimes you just meet a woman and she's got crazy eyes. And we used to know this woman that had crazy eyes. And now she's married and got kids. And, and two I said, man, I think she has lost her crazy eyes. She might be becoming normal. As normal as anybody could be. But it's funny, man. We know what God says we ought to look for in a, in a mate, but we want what we want. We do the same thing with our careers. We chase money. And man, I'm, I love money. Nothing wrong with money. But when you chase money over purpose, it's always going to find yourself lacking. How about you chase purpose? And watch God provide financially. It's amazing how that happens. Many times God will tell us to do something we simply just don't want to do. Or God comes to us and tells us to do something. We say, God, I'll do it. Just not right now. I'll get to it later, God. I'll do it later. I'll get to it when I can. Hear me out. 
I wrote this thought down this week, and I, I think it actually be a good sermon one day. I've got to break it down and dig into it a little bit better. But I wrote down this thought. Delayed obedience is really just disobedience. Delayed obedience is really just disobedience. And what's amazing is this is how so many parents parent their children. So what are you talking about? Hey, go clean up your room. Hey, didn't I tell you to go clean your room up? Don't make me count to three. One, two, two and a half. How about I told you to go clean your room? Get your up and go clean your room. Don't tell me you're going to clean your room after you finish this TV show, after you finish this video game. We teach our kids that delayed obedience is okay. So why should we be shocked when we respond the same way to God? Let me enlighten you on something when it comes to God. We don't serve a God of suggestions. We serve a God of commands. Delayed obedience is simply disobedience. (laughs) What happens is, is we teach our kids to respond when they want to. Hey, hey! And then it goes bad. Don't run into the street. Hey, action. One, two, splat. Seems a little extreme, don't it? But it's a great illustration. When you start teaching our kids to listen when we speak at OBTW, don't be a hypocrite. You need to respond when God speaks. Hmm. There's a preacher I like in California. His name's Aaron McManus. He said something this week I heard, and it kind of liked it. He said, the, the mark of maturity in a believer... He said, the mark of maturity in a believer can be seen in the lag time. He said, the lag time is the time between when God tells you to do something and when you do it. That hit me between the eyes. He said, a mature believer, when God tells them to do something, even when they don't understand it, they get out of the boat and they do it. They're not worried about sinking because their eyes are on God and they know God's going to get them through. An immature believer gets to it when it's convenient. (laughs) Oftentimes, God will tell you to do some things you don't want to do. And that's when the running starts. Second thing I notice in this story is you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. I have learned that just about the easiest thing in the world to do is run from God. You can find every excuse in the book to run from God. You can find people who will encourage you to run from God. Jonah said, I don't want to go there. I don't want anything to do with those people. He said, I hate those people. They don't deserve a message of repentance. God will speak to you. Sometimes tell you things you don't want to do. And when you decide not to do those things, God will come along and there'll always be a boat available in the opposite direction. 
Hey, I decide I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do what's right. That friend comes along and says, hey, man, just miss church today. Let's go party all night. Man, I'm going to be faithful in my giving. And the refrigerator breaks. And, man, you have to deal with the fact that, man, do I trust God? Or do I rely on my own? Hey, I know I, I shouldn't date this person. But he's so dreamy. You know, I got a thing for bad boys. No, you got a thing for bad relationships. And everybody around you sees it and you see it too, but you got that thing for bad boys. Tell me how that's working out. It's funny, I get on these weird kicks, and I got on this weird kick where I saw people my age in that 40s where they were very beautiful and attractive women. Maybe not with the type of guy you would expect them to be with. And me and Christine would talk, I said, man, what? think she sees in him. And so I got to where I started being nosy. Let's be honest. What are you doing with this ugly dude? I went through a bad boy stage. I said, now I want a real man. I want a man that's going to take care of me and love me and be faithful to me and take care of our kids. The problem with so many people is they don't outgrow the bad boy stage. Hey, let's go back to the old life. There's always a ship. So the other way. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship. You can always find a ship. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And you always got to watch out for the buts. But Jonah. Jonah got in his own mind and decided he knew best. And it didn't take him long to find something to come along and justify him going away. He said, I'm going to Tarshish. You need to understand something here. Tarshish was literally the opposite direction of Nineveh, 2,500 miles. I read a commentator this week and a commentary this week, and it said once he got to Tarshish, it would have taken him a year to travel back to Nineveh. You couldn't get any further away from the will of God than what Jonah was setting out to do. Some of you today, you're running from God, and you know it. The person next to you might think you have it all together today. But right now, your heart's beating a little bit harder because you know God told you to do something, and you're not doing it. Instead of dealing with what God told you to do, you're trying to medicate what God told you to do. Instead of manning up and being what you're supposed to be and dealing with problems like an adult, you're trying to run from it. I had a vendor yesterday. I had a festival yesterday and I had a vendor who showed up very late. They got there right before the cutoff time and it was unlike this vendor. And I said, I was a little irritated. I said, get the time wrong? So sorry. I woke up this morning to my roommate trying to kill themselves. I said, Why? And they said, because they were $150 short on rent. I said, what? And she said, yes, some people just don't have coping skills. They're right. You're going to take your life over $150 instead of manning up? And here's the funny thing. This is how my mind works. They, they, they said, they took 45 muscle relaxers. I'm thinking, I'd have sold them 45 muscle relaxers and paid my rent. Dang, surely you can get $3. I don't know anything. Let me, let me make this very clear if you're watching on television today. 
I don't know the market value of muscle relaxers. But there's been plenty of times as I get older and fatter, I'd have paid $3 for a muscle relaxer. Sold them jokers for $3. He could have had rent. But we'd rather jump on the ship and go the opposite direction. And the problem with jumping on the ship is many times the ship crashes. The problem with the ship is we're on the ship. And when we sober up, we still got to deal with our disgust with ourselves. When we quit sleeping around, we still got to deal with the disgust of ourselves. When we come down off the high, we still got to deal with the disgust of ourselves. When we quit spending money and trying to medicate by buying things, eventually the credit card bill comes and we got to deal with the disgust. Of ourself. Sometimes you got to sit in your own stink. I got to the festival yesterday at 7.30 to start setting up. It was hot yesterday. This festival was on asphalt. It was super hot yesterday. By 8.30 last night, I had a smell coming from me that I had never smelled in my life. I'm talking about for the first time in seven years, my wife comes in to kiss me, and I see the smell hit her, and she stops. She said, wow, you don't smell good. I said, I can, when you can smell your own self, it's bad. She said, so we went to watch fireworks. She said, you probably have time to go home and shower before the fireworks. I said, I'm not going home to shower to come sit right back out in this heat and have to shower again. I said, I'll just sit in my stink for a little while. Sometimes you need to sit in your stink. Can I tell you something? I take the quickest showers in the world. I'm in and I'm out. I got in that shower last night and I let that hot water hit me. I bathed three times. I was in the shower probably about 12 minutes. I don't, I'm never in the shower more than two minutes. After I had set in my stink for a little while, it felt good to get cleaned up. Like I'm down there, and I ain't going to lie to you. I ain't saying I do this all the time. I'm kind of, I, I saw something that one recently said how men wash, and it was like here, here, and like there was nothing here. And I was washing everything. I was down in between my toes washing. Like I was clean when I got out yesterday. I appreciated being clean because I'd set my stink for a little while. Some of you can't appreciate being clean and being on the right path because you refuse to sit in your stink for a little while. Instead of dealing with your stink for a little while, you try to medicate, you try to drink, you try to spin, you try to overwork your stink instead of acknowledging your stink. The prodigal son did that. Remember, he went away to a far land and all of a sudden he's sitting in a pig pen with a bunch of pigs and said, I can go back to daddy's house and live better than this. Sometimes you got to wallow with the hogs. The problem with so many of us is we're trying to fix it ourselves. Man. Sometimes you're not running from God, you're just drifting from God and don't even realize it. 
I remember one time we went to the beach. I'm getting all, we normally go to the beach 4th of July every year. We didn't go this year. So what's happening is on my memories on Facebook, it's all these pictures of us going to the beach. I remember one time we were in the water playing, and we'd been playing for about 30 minutes, and, man, it got hot. I said, I'm going to get out of the water and go sit with Christine. And all of a sudden, I turned around and looked at the shore, and we were about four condos down. We didn't realize we had drifted that far. Some of you get on that ship and you're drifting away and you don't even realize it. It's not something glaring. It's just something small. You come home. I'm preaching to myself here. Instead of spending time with the family, you spend a little bit more time on the phone. And you're drifting. Instead of coming home, even though you're tired of spending some time with the kids, you come home and you go sit in the bedroom and you're drifting You got busy this week and forgot date night with your wife, and that happens from time to time. But the problem is when you do it one week, it's easier to do it the second week. And all of a sudden now it's been four and five weeks, and you and your wife haven't been on date night and had any time away from the kids. Now, by the way, a date involves no kids. You take the kids, that's called family dinner. You didn't mean to run from God. You just got on the boat, and it started drifting away. Maybe you just haven't gotten the word of God and had that devotion. It was real intentional for me to come out and start this sermon in prayer today because I forgot to pray during the introduction today and I want to make sure our service is always bathed in prayer. I could have skipped it one week. But then the problem is next week happens and I skip it again. And all of a sudden our service isn't bathed in prayer. and I never set out for the service not to be bathed in prayer. You just kind of drift away sometimes. There's always a boat going in the opposite direction. You can always find a friend who will encourage you. And here's why. Misery loves company. Let me educate you on something real, real quick. Most of the people that you hang out with, they don't give two rips about you. Matter of fact, they don't want to see you succeed because your success reminds them of their failure. You need to be around healthy people. Some of you wouldn't know a healthy relationship if it slaps you across the face. I love the little groups we have here in the church, man, because I think there's some healthy groups here, and I watch each other, encourage each other. And be excited for each other. And come along and partner with each other. Some of you though, man, you got relationships and it's a ship taking you the wrong direction. Third thing, God may send a storm to get your attention. God may send a storm to get your attention. Eventually you'll get to the point where there's nowhere to run. And sometimes God does that by making your world fall apart. I got it under control. No, no, no. God sent a storm. Then the Lord sent a great wind, verse 4, on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah gets on the ship. He starts to run away. And the Bible says the Lord sent a great storm. Sometimes in your life, do not miss this. Sometimes there's divine storms in your life. Sometimes there are storms in your life that are ordained by the hand, uh, not the pan, the hand 
of God. You don't understand why they're happening and they're happening because God knows that's the only way he could get your attention. <laughs> Storm comes on the boat and these people believe when something like that happened, it was an indication that somebody on the ship had done something. So they begin to ask the people on the boat, what have you done, what have you done, what have you done? They finally get to Jonah and say, man, it must be Jonah's fault. And they come up to Jonah, if you break this down, right around verse 7 or 8, and they're like, who are you? Who are you? Look how Jonah answers. Don't put it up there yet. Remember, Jonah's running from God. He's going south. He's disobedient to God. This was not a time in his life where he was claiming to be a follower of Christ. But the storm comes along, and look how he answers. And he answered them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you really, Jonah? Yeah, because a storm has come. It took the storm to remind Jonah of whose he was. It took almost death to remind him that he's a chosen one of God. The minute the storm hit, all of a sudden, hey, hey, hey! I'm a Hebrew, I'm a child of God, I worship God. I don't, forget that part about I'm running. Forget about that part that I'm being disobedient to God. Man, I know who brought this storm. I worship God. Storm blows up and all of a sudden, he starts bringing up the God talk again. He ain't living like a Christ follower. He ain't living like a child of God. But in the midst of the storm, he's turning his attention back to God. Sometimes God will knock you down where you're forced to look up. Sometimes God will put you in situations where you have no choice but to look to him. Because a lot of times when things are going good and things are going great, we like to take all the credit. We don't think we need God. But boy, you let things fall apart. You let somebody get a sickness. You, you ever heard the expression jailhouse religion? Because I just got jailhouse religion good. I don't think it's sincere. I do. When you're in jail, my greatest fear in life is I am not made out for prison. I know what would happen to me. I'd have that guy come and be like, I am not, I'm too sexy for prison. Mm -mm. If I was in prison, me and God go a whole nother level. I, I, I'd be almost like a Muslim. I'd get up seven times a day or whatever, how many times a day it is, I'd be on my knees praying, God, what? I'd, I'd be in the word. I'd have me some jailhouse religion. Sometimes God will put you in a place where you got no choice but to look to him. I kind of like the fact that normally, anytime a first-time guest walks through the doors of this church, unless someone invited them, I know they've hit bottom. To roll up into this place, you ain't got nowhere else to go. 
And I'm glad we're that church. Sometimes God has sent a storm. Sometimes God knows he has no choice but to take your marriage so you can learn to face back to him. Sometimes God knows he has no choice but to take your finances because that was the only way he was going to get your attention. We got a bunch of people who attend church just to attend church. We got a bunch of people playing church instead of living for Christ. We got a lot of people who go to church nowadays out of duty instead of relationship. And the world falls apart and God says, I want to go deeper with our relationship. Jonah's in the boat, man. He's come to the point, he's like, it's my fault. I'm the reason the storms come. What you got to do is you got you to throw me overboard. You got to get me off this. In verse 12, he's like, guys, I'm sorry. This storm's cause of me. He finally has the light bulb go off. The storm has got his attention. <laughs> These men didn't want to throw him off. They begin to throw off the contents of the boat. You need to understand that was their livelihood. The things they were delivering was what made them money. They didn't want to throw Joan overboard. And the storm gets worse. And worse. And they realize, man, the only way we're going to survive is to throw him over. They throw him over. The Bible says, God sends a big fish. We just assume it was a whale. If I was writing the Bible, it would have been like a shark. Sucks him up. Doesn't really matter what it was. The point is, it was nasty. He's in the inside of an animal. The animal comes up on the shore and regurgitates him. That means puke for you Pickens County folks. And pukes him up on the shoreline. <laughs> that storm was brought to get Jonah's attention. Maybe the storm you're in right now or maybe the storm you just got out of was to get your attention. Remind you what was important in life and what's not important in life. Last thing, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. <laughs> That's deep, ain't it? Sometimes the worst thing you go through in life is exactly what you needed. Sometimes that horrible stretch in your marriage is exactly what your marriage needed for you to be where you are today. Sometimes that horrible time of rebellion is exactly what you needed to be there today. Sometimes that bankruptcy and losing everything in your life is exactly what it was going to take for you to learn how to manage your finances in a biblical and godly way. See, we tend to think failure is final. We tend to think failure is fatal. And many times failure is just a learning experience. Fall down seven times, get up eight. Gary, you don't know I messed up. Shut up. Get in line. Man, I'm leaving this train right here. 
I am the king of messing up. I don't like to be real arrogant and brag. I'll tell you this, I'm the king of getting back up too. I tell people all the time, I am not the best fighter in the world. But I can take a punch. You have to kill me to keep me down. That's the way we need to be in life sometimes. Sometimes our worst nightmare is exactly what we needed. We need to quit running from God. And start embracing God. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Why did it grow calm? Because the storm was for Jonah. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> don't miss this. I don't got this in my notes. God just gave this to me. Sometimes your storm will draw other people to him. Holy smokes. I've said it for years. Your biggest mess will many times be your greatest ministry. The storm came because of Jonah. Jonah's on the boat running from God. They throw Jonah overboard. The storm stops. And the men turn their attention to God. Who's watching you? You're setting the example for your children. You're setting the example for your co-workers. You're setting the example for your spouse. You're setting the example for your friends. You're running from God and you're showing them that you serve a small God. When if you'd have faith in the midst of the storm, the Bible says when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men unto Him. Maybe your storm is to be a testimony to somebody else, but you're too selfish to realize that. Man, nowhere to run. How so much would our lives be changed if we just stopped running from God and started having faith even when we don't understand? Because guess what? Wherever you go, there you are. Jonah gets thrown over to the ocean. And that God who loves us so much comes along and provides a fish to swallow him up. This ain't in my notes either. Who needs the notes? Check this out. Even when you rebel against God, he's got a plan to get you back on course. Jonah thinks it's over, man. I ran from God and now the consequence is death. They just threw me out into the sea. And God sends a fish to swallow him. Take him to a shore. Puke him up. You think Jonah's going to run again? Where's Nineveh? I'm on my way. You can't outrun God. You can't mess up so bad that God doesn't have a plan to get you right back into the center of his will. 17 years ago, 
as clear as day, God called me to this town. I know. I was sitting. It's now seven tequilas. It was Lockwood's Whale at the time. I was sitting there. I came here to meet a church planner who had started a church in Canton. I was going to Athens, Georgia to start a church. And I wanted to pick this guy's brain. And I sat there. I remember his name like Kevin Busty. I don't even know where he's at. I need to go find him. And I was sitting there eating lunch with him. And I said, man, tell me all about it. I thought he going to tell me how great starting a church was. And it was, he said, man, actually, I'm closing my church down this Sunday. He said, man, I want out of this town. And I was like, man, I don't blame you. This is kind of a lame town. I said, man, I hate to hear that. I said, well, I'm going to start a church, man. I'll buy all your stuff. Okay. Get back in my car. I'm driving home. And I'm telling you clear as day. God said, you're going to Canton to start a church. I had $250,000 in money if I went to Athens and started a church. All these churches that come together and want to start a college church. Awesome, these people love me. They're all just going to change that money and we'll go to Canton. That $250,000, when it was all said and done, became $13,000 to come to Canton. But I knew God had called me here. Five years in, I lost everything in this town. Running from God. But check it out. That didn't negate the calling on my life for this town. As much as it can drive everyone crazy, it's been 11 years and I'm still here. Because the minute I got off course, the minute I got off course, God had a plan A for me to get right back on course. The plan was never to be in the ghetto of Canton preaching in an old grocery store. But I pastor a church an old grocery store in the ghetto part of Canton that does more for our community than the church of 1,500 people I used to pastor. I'm not knocking that church. They might do great things. I'm talking about when I was there. Because when you quit running from God, God will get you back on course. God had to bring a storm in my life to get rid of it. You think my ego is bad now? God had to knock that ego down. God had to humble me to get me to where he could choose me. I could have ran from the calling of God. I had offers to go to other places. I had pastors come alongside me and say, man, take about a year break. Get your stuff together. And we'll support you in another town. I said, the problem is God called me to this town. We're not supporting you to stay here. That's just not how it's done. I said, well, I guess you're not supporting me. I'm staying here. I think right when Christine and I got together, I had a church in Sugar Hill call me. Hey, man, we, we're looking for a pastor. I said, well, I'm not looking for a church. Well, you don't even want to hear what we had to offer? No. Well, it's a lot of money. It was a lot of money. So I'm not interested. We're going to send some people Sunday to check you out. I said, don't send them. Well, I saw them coming through the parking lot. You said, how do you know it was in? Because they had Dockers on, polo shirts tucked in. They looked like they had actually owned an iron. Um, <laughs> man, their hair was brushed. I knew they didn't fit in with this crowd. I said, can I help you boys? 
We're just here to hear you preach. I said, no, you're at the wrong place. Why? Because God called me here. I tell people all the time, I don't know that I'm called to Action Church. I'm called to Canton. And you can run me off tomorrow. Man, I'll go do it again because I feel called to this city. Different preachers have different callings in their life. I feel called to this city. We're talking about leaving and moving from this city. But we have a parameters. How far can we get out of the city and still impact the city? We found a house we really liked an hour and a half away. And I thought, I could still drive down here every Sunday. But I can't impact the city. So we decided it wasn't the place for us. You can't outrun God. Some of you are running from your calling today. Some of you are in the middle of a storm today. And you're fighting the storm instead of embracing the storm. And realizing God sent the storm to get your attention. Here's the deal. And I'm done, I promise. You can fight it forever. You can run forever. And here's the reality. You need to hear this today. You will lose. You'll lose. You're the one whose life will be miserable. You're the one who will have no peace. You will be the one who has no purpose. You will be the one who can't have a healthy relationship. You can roll your eyes at me, and you can let it go in one ear and out the other. Then they don't affect me. You keep doing what you've been doing, and you'll keep getting what you've been getting. Or maybe you've tried everything else. Maybe just try being obedient to the calling of God. You know what it is in your life. Let's pray.